How is everybody today? Yeah? Have a good week? Enjoy the sunshine? Well, I guess the sunshine is gone. We had it for two minutes. Yes, we can't expect much more, right? So if you are new with us, if this is your first week with us, uh, I am not our normal pastor. Uh, Rex Stump is our normal pastor, does a great job. And we have some sort of, we, we have this little somewhat of an agreement. Uh, he allows me to scratch an itch by preaching every once in a while. And when I get to fill the pulpit, that gives him a chance um, sometimes to, to be fed. Uh, so I'm grateful, I'm very grateful to Rex for that. And he's asked me to change the way I do that, so I'm doing that on behalf of him. Um, how many of you like to be dared? Anyone like to be dared? We're going through the book of Acts. And as we go through the book of Acts, if we were, if we were to go verse by verse through the book of Acts, we could spend years going through the book of Acts. There's so much in the book of Acts. It's, it's where the church was established. It's, it's how the church began. It's the history of the early church and churches being planted and started and, and all of those kind of things. So, but we've decided, Rex has decided to kind of take an over, overview. We're, we're kind of flying over the book of Acts and going to hit some highlights. So last week he talked about how after Jesus resurrected, all the disciples were together and um, they, they ended up at this mountainside and Jesus was taken up into heaven and they all stood there, watched him leave. Then some people came down, said, hey, just the way that he's left, the way that you saw him leave, he's going to come back one of these days. And so after that, uh, Peter, the apostle Peter, uh, Peter, what does Peter do best? Those of you that have heard sermons on Peter, Peter opens his mouth best. So um, he decides to open his mouth. He preaches a sermon that day. It's, called, it's on the day of Pentecost. He preaches a sermon after some crazy things have happened. People have started talking in different tongues and, and different things are going on and winds and all, all that stuff. And Peter stands up to talk and Peter preaches a sermon that probably if today were preached, I would say in 80 to 90% of churches in America probably would be fired um, as a result of what he said in his sermon. Uh, he pretty much gave it to him, said, you, you guys are the reason that Jesus died, but one of these days he's going he's gonna to come back. And so, so there's this big, he preaches this fantastic sermon. At the end of the sermon, the people's hearts are, are, are changed. They're like, whoa, we don't want that to happen to us. What are we supposed to do? If we want to be saved, what do we need to do? Jesus, Peter says in Acts 2.38, what you need to do is you need to repent and you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then 3,000 people were baptized that day. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I don't know if anybody's ever spent any time uh, considering this. And, and there are some traditions where uh, some religious traditions will only allow a pastor to, you have to be a pastor to actually do baptisms. And um, thinking about that logistically, can, can, can you imagine if 3,000 people came into our church today and wanted to be baptized and, and Rex had to baptize 3,000 people? Um, it would be a long day. Of, of, but, but can you imagine the excitement of the church as, as Peter preaches that sermon and he's like, man, I might be able to, they, they just killed Jesus 
and he resurrected, and now I'm saying that he's the way, and he's the only way. And so there's a good chance they're not going to really like what I have to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. So as he, as he ends that, and they say, well, what are we supposed to do? Then he doesn't say, well, if you feel like doing something fun, why don't you just come do it? He says, no, you got to repent. you got to change the way that you're living your life, and you need to be baptized. And 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus. Man, man, what, what an amazing event that had to be what just the the sheer thought of that that automatically the church went from like 120 to 3,120 um it's crazy right and so after that then what what are we going to do what so we we've had this we've watched Jesus we've seen him leave we've heard Peter preach we've given our lives to the Lord we've been baptized we're excited now what do we do so that's what we're going to pick up today. And I want us to, we're going to look at the early church, and I've, I've called them the daring church. But let's talk about dares, because you have to understand dares, I think, before we get too much into Scripture. So here, here is one dare that you may or may not have known about. Um, some of you may like a Christmas story, you may not like a Christmas story, but this is somewhat of a popular dare uh, that, that is well known by many people. And so... As you look at this picture, the triple dog dare was the worst of all dares, and, and this poor child is, uh, gets the unhappy event of being dared, triple dog dared to stick his tongue to a frozen pole. Um, now you can debate whether you can debate the sanity of him sticking his tongue on that pole. Uh, that was pre-COVID, so things may have changed um, <laughs> since then. I'm not, I'm not sure, but. Uh, but, but let's talk about what's in a dare. There's, all, there's a few things. If there's a dare that's made, there's always a few things that are included in a dare. A dare always includes some extensive risk, right? If somebody's going to dare you to do something, they, they're asking you to take a risk. In, in, this, in this triple dog dare that we see here on the screen, the risk is that his tongue's going to get stuck, right? That, so so there's, a, there's a huge amount of risk. You might take other risks. If you're late elementary school, early junior high school, and you're dared to kiss a girl or kiss a boy, there's, there's some risk in there because you, you may get, if you're a boy and you're dared to kiss a girl and you do, you, you, you may get slapped or you may get pushed. Um, uh, some of us smaller boys might get beat up. I don't, but, but there's some risk in doing that. Anytime somebody dares you to do something, there's some risk. Not only is there some risk, it usually is something you wouldn't do normally, and it takes you out of your comfort zone, right? This, this poor kid, he's not just going to walk by a flagpole in the middle of winter and say, hey, I think I'm going to go stick my tongue on there and see what happens. It, it, usually it's something that's going to take you out of your comfort zone, going to ask you to do something you're not comfortable with. And so it's not only is there risk involved, but you really don't, you, you really, there's this voice in the back of your head that says, this is probably going to be a bad idea, right? This kid's probably thinking in the back, ah, Man, I, I, I don't want to lose the triple dog dare, but man, I, I can't see this ending well. Too, there are too many scenarios where this ends well. So, so there's always some stepping out of your comfort zone. But the other part that's part of a dare is there's always some reward, right? And the reward can be different things. And what's, what's the reward in this? Let, let's look at this one. In, in this, what's the reward? It's not that his tongue gets stuck to the pole. That's not the reward, all right? The reward is that he gets bragging rights, Right? I mean, they, nobody thought he was going to do it, and he gets to say, ha, ha, you can't get me. I won because I stuck my tongue on the pole and got stuck. So uh, I win, 
right? So there's always some sort of, there's always some sort of reward. Now, if I were to take you to this cliff and have you look over and say, I dare you to jump, the same thing would be true, right? It's going to take you out of your comfort zone. Unless you're crazy, that's going to take you out of your comfort zone. There are some people that are crazy enough. That's okay. They would be okay with this. If you were to put me there and tell me, dare me to do this, you would probably find some of my lunch at the bottom of the, I'm just saying, I don't really like heights. So there's a good chance my lunch is on the bottom and I'm not going over that cliff. But there's, that's out of your comfort zone. That's something you're not going to just walk by, right? You're not just going to be walking by a cliff and say, oh, I think I'll jump off of this thing and see if I can land. So there, there's going to be some risk in that. But what's the reward in here? The reward in jumping off this cliff is you get to swim in that beautiful water, right? So everybody understand what we're all on the same page with the dare, right? There's, there's always going to be some sort of risk. There's always going to be some sort of out of my comfort zone. And we're going to be looking for some sort of reward, right? Everybody okay with that? So as we talk about the early church, the early church in, um, in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, we're going to go through 42 through 47, we're going to see how the early church accepted the dare that was given to them and how they became the daring church, okay? I know some of you teachers are looking at this, and you see that when you saw this back here, the daring church... I know that you said that's not really a correct spelling, Brian, of daring. Daring is spelled differently. And so I apologize to those of you. Um, I'll take my F. I got plenty of them when I was in school, so we'll just go along with it. Okay? Turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read from verses 42 through 47. And we're going to see what it meant, what the daring church did as they were getting themselves established. So while you're turning, uh, I, have to, I have to fill because otherwise I'll just jump right into it and people will be turning and then they say, yeah, you didn't give me time to get it. So while you're turning, I, I, just, I like to mess with myself sometimes. One time I told the, a church to turn to the book of, of Elijah. We were going to study Elijah and I told them to turn to the book of Elijah and they all looked at me like I was crazy. So um, it was in 1 Kings. By the time we got to 1 Kings, it was good. So, so is everybody there now? We in Acts so I can go ahead? Okay, good. I have my little filler there. Some of you will laugh on the way home. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 says this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So what does it mean to take the dare of being a Christian? What, as we go through this sermon today, I want you to do two things for me, okay? I want you, if you are, especially if you are, have signed a commitment card to, to True North Church, I want you to pay attention to what, I, what we go through today, what we see in Acts chapter 2, and I want you to compare. Do you feel like we as True North Church are doing what that early established church is doing? Are we, are we a daring church? Or are there areas where we could become more daring? The second thing is, I want you to ask yourself and be honest with yourself about whether or not you're a daring Christian. Are the things that we're talking about, so we're going to talk about the church corporately as well as you individually. So if you can kind of split your brain as we go through here today, I want you to, I want you to pay attention to both of those. All right? So the first thing that we see is that they were dedicated disciples. 
In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says this. All, all uh, of the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Now, I don't know, anyone ever heard this verse preached on before? This verse gets preached on quite a bit, right? And you may have heard a sermon similar with a title similar to Four Ways to the Perfect Church, the, 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 the four best ways to, to grow your church, church growth in four steps, whatever it might be. And, and so I, as I was preparing for this, for this sermon, I have, a, I, have a bad, I have a bad habit. I play games on my phone. I don't know if anybody else plays games on their phone. But while, while like, we'll have the TV on sitting, but and I'll, ADD says I have to have a couple things going at the same time. So I'll be playing a game on my phone, and I'll be watching TV recently, I don't know how they pick these ads that pop up so that I keep playing the game. Um, but but they've, they've picked, the, in the game that I've been playing recently, they've picked this ad to send to me. And they, they say that they, that they get them from, I don't know, however they choose. But the one that they've been sending me recently during this game is, if you eat one gummy a day, you'll lose 50 pounds in a month or a week or two weeks. I, I'm not sure. I, um, I know, a lot of pe- I know a lot of people that are uh, athletic and they work out and they train and they, they plan to lose weight. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not exactly sure that I believe if I just eat one gummy bear a day, I'm going uh, to all of a sudden lose 50 pounds. I think there's something probably more to that story. And, and so I want you to understand that, that these four, these, this is not going to guarantee we can do all of these things. It's not going to guarantee that our church is going to grow. That's not why we're here. That's not what my message is for. My message is to help us be more like Christ, and then we'll see at the end there's a special way that we do grow if we grow. All right, so hold on to that. Kind of stick it in the back of your head and pull it up later. All right? The first thing they did is they were dedicated disciples. Look at this in verse 42, what they were doing. First of all, they were dedicated to the apostles' teaching. Now, if I look around here... If I look out over here, I don't see any apostles in our, in our congregation this morning. I, I think most of them are probably in a grave somewhere, right? So, we're, so I don't see any apostles. So how do we, if we're going to be like the early church, how do we get the apostles' teaching? We get the apostles' teaching through, through the word, right? Now, some of you only get it on Sunday mornings when you come. And one of the reasons that I'm here at True North is because Rex Stump is... is confident in preaching the word, whether it's comfortable or not. And I, I like that about our church. I like that about him. Um, <clears throat> but that, that's, some of you, that's where you get it. Some of you get it because you read at home. What we see here is that this group was getting together every day, and one of the things they were doing while they were getting together was they were getting teaching from the apostles. Now, I got to tell you, it had to, be, it had to be fun for them to learn because who were they learning from? They're learning from the 12 people, minus Judas, that spent three years around Jesus. So the apostles' teaching is actually the apostles sharing what they saw Jesus do. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, can you, can you imagine can You imagine sitting around a campfire listening to Peter tell stories about stepping out of the boat? Yeah, there was this one time, a big old storm, eh, and I got the, went to the back of the boat, and I stepped out. I almost drowned, but Jesus looked at me and said, hey, I'll get you. And so, I mean, so all of these fun stories, they get to share with them. So obviously, it's probably going to be, be interesting for them. And they're learning. They're, 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 they're hearing for the first time. Remember, they watch Jesus. These are the people. This is within Jesus' lifetime. So they watch Jesus. They they heard about Jesus being on the cross. 
right? They were alive for Jesus being on the cross. They were alive for Jesus being laid in the tomb. They were alive for Jesus resurrecting. They were alive for the ascension when Jesus goes up in the clouds and is taken away. They saw all of that happen. Obviously, they have a different connection than what we do. I I get that. But what they were doing is they were wanting to learn what does Jesus want from us? How does Jesus want us to live? And so they were digging into the word through the apostles. You see, what I think sometimes happens is, is this is boring. How many of you, I mean, if, I was like, if you're honest, gut level, gut level honest, how many of you really like to read? Right? There aren't that many hands going up. Right? So when we as preachers say, well, you should get in the word and you should read, that's like, okay, jab me with a pencil in my eye and my ear, both at the same time. Can you do that? That sounds like fun. It sounds more fun than reading. So it's a struggle, right? It's, 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 it's not always easy for us to get into the Word. But the beautiful thing is that we as a church provide opportunities for you to hear the Word with Right Now Media, with sermons. Our sermons are online. There's praise and worship music you can hear. There's all kinds of ways to take in scriptures. There's, there's recordings of the scriptures. Now, now you can get, get like Bible Gateway. It'll actually read the Bible to you so you don't have to read it. You can just hear it. There's all kinds of ways to get the Word. The problem is we don't really, I, I don't think we always really want the Word. I think sometimes we'd rather not have it. If we're going to be gut level honest, I think that's probably the truth. Because sometimes the word is convicting, right? So if I just don't, if I don't get into it too deep, I don't have to worry about where I'm being convicted. The other thing that they were doing is they were fellowshipping. That fellow, that, that the word is koinonia. I, w- I was at one church when I was younger, um, and they actually had a koinonia class, and uh, it was the fellowship class. So we, we called it. I'm not sure where they, I'm not sure why they call it fellowship class, but that's what they call it. But koinonia means just to be together, to fellowship, to enjoy being around each other, right? Some of you are starting to twitch right now. You're just like, oh no 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 no, I, this <laughs> this hour and ten minutes that you make me be here once a week, that's more people than I need. Yeah, I don't need, I don't need to fellowship too much, right? But they were doing it all the time. And, and not only were they fellowshipping, they were eating together. They were having meals together. And they, they had a Lord's Supper together. And so they're, they, they're spending fun time together. They're, they're enjoying each other's company. And I don't know about you, I love to eat, right? So they're enjoying food, enjoying meals together. And then, then they're praying, right? What's your prayer life like? Again, there could be a whole sermon. I'm not going to preach on praying. But I want you to think about that. How committed to prayer are you? You see, in the early church, we hear about the early church all the time. Oh, 3,000 people baptized. Oh, everybody added added daily. We hear about the early church all the time. What we don't always pay attention to is what the early church was doing. And they they were devoted, dedicated, committed to these things. Learning the word. Being together. Sharing in a meal. And praying. But that's just the first part of the dare. That, a lot of times, we'll stop right there. We'll say, okay, that's it. But there's four more verses we have to go through. And I want, so let's look at those. Because that's where we get some of them. Not only were they dedicated disciples, they were awe-inspired admirers. Look at this. This is fantastic. I almost get excited about this. A deep sense of awe, A-W-E. A deep sense of awe came over them. All, A-L-L. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. You say, well, Brian, there's no apostles here to do miracles. 
We, 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 we don't do faith healings in True North. We don't, we don't line people in wheelchairs up and touch them and they become healed. I've never seen that happen. So, so we don't, we, and the apostles aren't around. So, so that's not happening now. But what I would ask you is, how amazed at God's work are you? Because what I think has happened is we've become so comfortable with the things that really are awe-inspiring about God. we become so comfortable with them that they don't really inspire awe in us anymore. How many of you remember when you, were a little, when you were a little kid getting a sparkler? Like 4th of July, you get a sparkler, right? And when you're, when you're younger, like, like 5, 6, and mom and dad give you a sparkler, maybe they don't give them to you that young anymore because you, we, we have to wear bikes so how much all the time anyway now. So, but... but I digress. So, but at some young age, when you give your child the sparkler, or there's a, ch- a child has a sparkler, younger kids love them, right? Oh, look at this. Wow, wow. Oh, yeah. And, and so they have a blast with them. But, but take that sparkler and give it to a 13 or a 14-year-old kid. They're not nearly as impressed by the sparkler, are they? If you get to a 13 or 14-year-old kid, they're probably going to chase each other around trying to burn each other with it, Right? Not that I would do that, but they, they, might be do, they might be doing that because it's not amazing to them anymore. See, some people will say there aren't miracles anymore. Some people will say the birth of a baby is a miracle. But some people will say, no, it's not, it's just natural. And I think what we've done is we've taken the amazing things of God where God blows our mind and we've made them natural so they're not amazing to us anymore. This is a rural community. We have a lot of farmers around here, right? Think, think about how farming works. Farmers are going to take one seed, a bunch of seeds in a row, but one seed they put in the ground is going to become, let's take corn, for instance, is going to become a stalk of corn, and there's going to be an ear of corn on that stalk that will have hundreds of kernels. It's amazing to me. Right? How does that happen? Oh, it's just the way it is. No, it's not the way it is. It's because God is so cool that he can take one little corn and make it into a bunch. But, but we don't see that anymore. And what happens is we forget and we stop being amazed by God, and so we become comfortable. And we look at this and we say, ah, Brian, there's really... It, it was cool for them. They got to see the apostles heal people. They got to see people... Blind see the lame walk. I haven't got to see that. Really? Have you known anybody that's sick that's gotten well? You see, that's another area because now we don't give credit to God when people are healed of diseases. We give credit to doctors. Oh, yeah. The medicine worked. Where did we get the information to make the medicine? And we stopped being amazed. The early church was, they were all inspired me. They were looking at all these things that they were happening. And I get it. It had to be fun for them. I mean, can you just, just think about, let's go back around the campfire. And we're listening to Peter tell stories. And all of a sudden, John sees somebody that's really sick and he wants to heal him. So while we're having this, this bonfire, John gets up and he goes over and heals him. I'm not saying that wouldn't be cool to see. I would love that. They were amazed. It was awesome for them to see that. But God does things for us daily that are amazing. We miss them because we call them coincidences. 
We call them nature. We call them the way things are. But they didn't. They were amazed. Wouldn't it be cool to be able to be a kid again and enjoy a sparkler? I mean, what, what, to, to be... Because what, what did Jesus say? I think Jesus said something like this. Let's go back. Unless you accept the kingdom like a little child, you'll not be part of it. And that, didn't he say something similar to that? He wants us to be amazed by him. In awe. <laughs> and you think I'm crazy. Imagine what it would be like if you walked out of your house today and said, Oh my goodness. That tree has leaves on it. <laughs> it didn't yesterday. It does today. <laughs> or you watch a cornfield be nothing but dirt. And then you start to see plants come and you go, Oh, wow! Those corn stalks are coming up. But we don't. Because we're not amazed. We look at God and we say, you got to wow me. And if you don't wow me, I don't have time for you. But not only were they awe-inspired admirers, they were radically relational. This, I'm going to sit this on your lap. Some of you might land on your toes. I'm not responsible for what lands on your toes. But I want you to look at this. I want you to listen to this verse. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. And write this, Luke did. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Wow. When was the last time you went to church every day of the week? When was the last time <laughs> I'm going to meddle? So some old preachers used to say, I'm going to meddle for a minute. When was the last time you sold something you really liked having so someone else could have something they needed? When was the last time you went without so someone else, so you could be a blessing to someone else? See, well, they, they understood. What they understood was that people mattered. The church is people. Jesus' death is about people. The resurrection is about people. Creation was about people. Jesus wishes that no person, no people will die without him. It's about people. And what, is, what, what happened? Anybody remember what happened in March of 2020? Anyone? COVID. What happened to churches when COVID hit? They had to close. Right? 
You had to stay at home and watch church on TV. I'm not going to go too far down the rabbit hole, but anybody ever tries to tell me that Satan didn't have a hand in that, in separating people and dividing people and keeping them from being able to come together, you're going to have a hard time convincing me. The early church met daily and shared meals together. I love to eat. I, I grew up in the Delta Church of Christ. Years ago, I cut, there's probably some teeth marks on some of the back of the pews from when I was a kid, and I know for sure there's some of my dress suit fibers in the carpets there, unless they've changed the carpet, because my favorite thing to do was race Jason Carter around the church and then slide into home base somewhere in the fellowship hall and rip my pants, rip, rip the, the knees of my jeans out. So I know, I, so one of the things that was great about the growing up in church, we, we, the, the, I don't know that the doors of the Delta Church of Christ ever opened when I was a kid, that the Hollingsworth family wasn't in there. And I don't, I don't mean that to pump ourselves up. I'm just saying that's, the, that, that's how I grew up. If, the church, if something's going on at church, the Hollingsworths are there. Monday night, we would be there Sunday morning for Sunday school. Easter Sunday morning, we would be there for sunrise service, then Sunday school, then worship, then Sunday night church. Then Monday was... Then Monday was departmental meetings for the, the leaders of the church. Tuesday, we got the night off. Wednesday was youth group. Thursday was choir practice. And then it would start all over again. So you, that, that's, I'm, I'm not kidding. That, that was, I have the schedule burned into my head because that's, that's the way it was. We love to be together. And one of the things that I learned in growing up that way was I learned the value of people. I learned that people matter. All people matter. matter. And I got to know some very great people. And, and, and some people that if I wouldn't have been part of the church, I, I wouldn't have learned. One of the things, there was, an old, there was an older guy at the time. I'm not sure how old Noel was, but there was an older guy named Noel Allman when I was a kid. He was the candy man. Everybody loves the candy man. And so as a kid, you would go to Noel Allman, and he would always have, he'd have candy for you. So we acted like we really liked Noel. We really just wanted the candy. I'm not going to. But in getting candy from Noel Almond over the years, I, I learned because I wouldn't just ask for the candy. I would actually talk to him a little bit. Um, I learned to value older people in their experience. And I learned to value different people. And as some of you know, I just went through a, a potential job change um, that I did not get. But I went through a potential job change. And the only reason I did that is because, I, because of my value for people. Because I, I care about people. And that's what the church, that's what the church is, right? The early church, look at, that, look at that scripture again. They sold everything. It says, and don't miss, don't miss the little things in scripture. They sold their property and their possessions. Deed to the farm and the boat and the car. And the shed, and the lawnmower, and the clothes, sold it. Bring the money to the, to the apostles so that it could be shared with those that were in need. You've got to be kidding me. Because people matter. The early church was radically relational. You see, we're, we're struggling now in America. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's, it's gotten kind of strange. The things that we're told we should accept. And, and some, of the, some of the messages that are being given to us are 
pretty bizarre if you've grown up in church. And, and I, wonder how, I wonder how many of us understand how to handle those situations. Because if you, if you look at this, they, they just brought everybody in. Do you think that those 3,000 people that were baptized, do you think that all of their sinful ways automatically left? You think all of the ways they were tempted, you think all of a sudden that was gone? How many of you in here have accepted the Lord, been baptized, given your life to the Lord? Anyone? Anyone given your life to the Lord in here? Thanks, appreciate that. I was getting scared for a minute. <laughs> Did all of those temptations leave you right away? Do you automatically become perfect? So think about this new group of 3,000 people trying to figure out life together <laughs> and trying to figure out how to follow Jesus together and, and trying to find out how to follow the disciples. It's the same way with us. As Christians, it's our job to get dirty and get messy with the things of this world that are going on. It, it's, there are... Alternate lifestyles are taking on a life of their own. Um, what do we as the church do with that, right? That becomes the question. Just not, let's not talk about it. What do, we, do, we, do we just kind of, oh, <laughs> I don't see you. <laughs> do we stand on a big pulpit and condemn people that are struggling with that? Do we condemn them to hell unless they change their ways? Are we loving to them and coddle them? Do we put our arm around them and say, oh, it's okay, it's okay, okay, you'll be fine. Or do we get involved in their lives and build relationships with them and help them see that we love them, we care about them, we want the best for them, but Jesus has a different way for them? That's hard, right? That means I got to get dirty. That means i got to put myself in the middle. And instead of just standing back and saying, oh, I can't believe that's happening, now I'm getting involved. That's, that's hard. I'm not going to tell you it's not. What do we do with that? What did this church do? What did the early church do? They said, hey, what did Jesus do? Remember, they're going with the apostles' teachings. Hey, where are those that condemn you? I'm not going to either but I want you to change the way that you live, right? Hey, I love you. Hey, I'm here for you. Hey, I'm always going to be here for you. But I want to help you find a way to live the way God wants you to live because I want you to be with me when we go to heaven. That's hard. It's much easier to just ignore it. It's much easier to stand on a pulpit and condemn it it's much easier to just love them and not have to address it. It's hard to do what Jesus asked us to do and get involved in their life and try and make a difference. That's what the early church was doing. They were being Jesus. Let's get together. Let's have a meal. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's just hang out. Let's just be friends. And while we're friends, maybe we'll find a way to help you find a different way. But remember, I told you, if you're dared, a dare always has a reward. And they were enthusiastically encouraged. Look at this. All of the while, 
praising God. So they're doing all of this while they're having all of these me- all these groups, while they're having all these meals, while they're getting dirty and they're trying to make a difference in these people's lives. While all of this is going on, they're praising God. <laughs> they're singing the praises of the Lord, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. Who? All people. So they obviously were not standing in a pulpit condemning everybody because people don't like to be condemned, do they? Somehow they were finding a way to love them like Jesus. And then the encouragement comes because then what do we see? The Lord added daily to their fellowship those who were being saved. Daily. Every day. Somebody was coming. Every day somebody's coming forward. It doesn't say every Sunday. It doesn't say at every group meeting that they had. It says every day somebody was saying, man, I want Jesus in my life. Man, I'm tired of living the way that I am and I want to go to heaven. Man, I want to to change. In church, if we don't, if we don't want heaven to grow, we must question our commitment to Jesus. If you're not a Christian and you don't want more people in heaven, then I would question your commitment to Christ because that's what it's about. If it was just about accepting Jesus and committing our life to him, then as soon as we accepted Jesus, he could take us. He leaves us so we can make a difference in people's lives. Nothing about this guarantees. This scripture does not say, because they were so wonderful, Jesus sent more people to them. It just says, they were doing all of these things, and Jesus added. And Jesus added. They were doing the right things, Jesus sent more people. They were doing the right things, Jesus sent more people. They kept doing the right things, Jesus sent more people. The Lord added daily. Do you realize that if the Lord would add to our gathering daily, beginning today, by this time next year, we would double our attendance, give or take. That's a lot of people, yeah? That means Rex has to preach four times on Sunday. As the worship team comes forward, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about what is Jesus daring you to do? Where is he daring you to reach out? To whom, is he, to whom is he looking at you and saying, I want you, I want you to get that person right over there. I, I want you, uh, this is going to be challenging, but I want you to step up and take a different role in church. What is the Lord daring you to do today? What does he want you to accomplish? And what reward does he have to give to you? The ultimate reward is not just that you get to go to heaven. The reward is there's more of us in heaven. How many of you have people you know that you'd like to see in heaven with you? How many of you know people you'd like to see in heaven with you? You're not sure they know what it's all about. 
Maybe the Lord's daring you today. Hey, step out. Be Jesus. Make a difference and help them find him. Let's pray. God, you're so good. You love us so much and you give us so many opportunities to just be you. Help us. Help us, Lord, to be daring. Help us to be willing to do what you've asked us to do. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.